Welcome to Le Podcast on Emerging Leadership. I'm Alexis Monvin. In today's episode, we have the privilege of hosting Anne Caron, an international speaker, author, and consultant. Anne brings a decade of experience as a senior HR executive from the tech giant Google. In 2015, she channeled her expertise into her consulting practice, guiding founders in sculpting high-performing and positive organizations. Her deep-rooted experience with entrepreneurs led her to craft a unique methodology for startups, aiming to cultivate the right organizational structure and team dynamics. This methodology is beautifully encapsulated in her book, From Zero to One Thousand. Today, we'll be delving into Anne's journey, her insights on building successful startups, and the essence of her book. Welcome, Anne. Thank you very much for having me, Alexi. Could you give us a brief introduction about yourself? Well, I'm a people strategy expert. So what does that mean? That means that uh, I work on the people side of things in organizations. I've been doing things uh, this for the past eight years now, supporting startup in building the people side of the organization. Prior to that, I worked with, uh, with Google for... 10 years. I joined the company from Paris in 2005 when the company was only 5,000 people and in Europe we were 1,500 people. Nobody knew about Google as an employer. People knew the search engine, obviously, but uh, had no clue they could work there. So I was actually originally uh, hired to build the employer branch, to put Google on the map as an employer of, of choice in the region and to build initiatives around talent attraction sourcing strategies and all this. So that's how I started 10 years later when I left the company was uh, 65,000 people. So we're obviously having very different challenges. And so that was really interesting, but it was mostly about optimizing processes, uh, handling high volumes, such as, you know, the millions of resumes we were receiving per year, as opposed to the ones we were not receiving 10 years ago. <laughs> and so, yeah, after 10 years, that was kind of the end of my journey for me. And I was eager to go back in building mode. And so that's how I got back in the startup ecosystem to help founders with building their organization for growth. What really inspired you to delve into that world of startups and developing their organizations? Well, I think like a lot of people, I saw a gap here. Most of startups really focus a lot on the product, the revenues, and of course, uh, raising capital at the beginning, and only start thinking about building the organization quite late in their journey and quite often too late in their journey. And so I saw a real need to start supporting them on that you know, early on and most specifically the founders, the CEOs, because everything people related is usually delegated to HR, but there is much more to people's strategy than just, you know, the HR ops and HR admins that we usually, uh, you know, try to tick off as fast as possible from the list. So yeah, so that was probably one of the main things. The second was also, I was speaking about my time at Google. It was amazing. I learned a lot about how to build a great company to work for, how to develop a positive and sustainable culture. But then because Google, like, like a typical startup, grew 
so fast. What I realized towards you know, the second half of my time there or towards the, the last few years was a lot of the processes that we ended up implemented were very similar to any other corporate out there. You know, if you look at the performance management framework, taking out the OKRs, which were implemented very early on of uh, Google's journey, but the rest of the performance management framework, which is, um, you know, 360 performance review, for instance, or if you have a look at the people development programs and all this, it's very, very similar to any organization out there. And so I realized that one of the reasons there was not so much innovation possible there is because first it was too big, but also it was going growing too fast. And when it grows too fast, you have no choice but hiring somebody that already knows and has done it in a big organization. And when they join the organization, they generally freak out at the mess they, they see and they very quickly copy paste whatever they know has been working elsewhere before taking the time to really digest the culture and really understand what are the needs of the organization. So that was also something that really triggered me to, to study a bit more how we consciously identify and define what is needed and what is not needed in an organization as opposed to just copy pasting whatever we know of from another company. I noticed a, a glowing endorsement on the cover of your book from a former senior vice president of people operations at Google, who is now the CEO and co-founder of uh, Yumu. Could you tell us a little bit more about your shared experience? And, and by the way, I love one of his books, uh, Work Rules, because it seems that there's things at Google that worked really well and things that inspired you to say, hmm, maybe we need to think that ahead of time. So tell me more about that. Well, so I worked with Laszlo, absolutely loved working with him. He's such an inspiring leader. So I can't agree more with you on his book. I think it was helpful for a lot of people to, you know, to have some insight into the works of the uh, of one of the companies that a lot of startups are looking up to. So it was really cool. I think, and that's one of the reasons that, one of the things that triggered me to, to write the book is that, you know, those books that exist, like, so Google with uh, Last Low, cre uh, uh, you know, wrote one. Netflix has a couple as well of books uh, describing their methodology and how they they have approached culture and whatsoever. There's one also about uh, Amazon and, and many others. We have tons of um, descriptions of existing companies and how they became successful. However, what worked at Google worked for Google. And because Google was set up by Larry and Sergey, Laszlo was hired because it was Larry and Sergey and all this. So the specific cities of Google are exactly the same as the, you know, the, the specificities that you would have in a human being in, with their personalities. And so what I see that is a little lacking with those type of uh, great inspiring examples is not necessarily a playbook. It's not a methodology that any company that follow, because it's not because it's worked for Google, for Netflix, or for whoever, that it will work for you. And so the work I decided to take on when I, I started my consulting practice was really to build a methodology to help founders think. Think about who they are, what they do, 
where they are going, how do they want to work and all this. I think that's something that I started to see towards the, you know, uh, the end of Google, where they started to have some discrepancies between some of the models we were putting in place and the values. Whereas at the beginning, it was extremely strong. The culture and the values at Google were extremely, extremely strong. Excellent. We, we will go back to that because I believe it's really important. In your book, you discuss the different stages of a startup. Could you walk us through these stages and highlight the unique challenges each stage presents? So I have defined five different stages of growth for startups between zero to 1,000 employees. The last stage, I would say, is... You know, the one I developed the least because it's from 500 to 1,000. So usually there's already the foundations there. But let's start with the first one. So the first one is from zero to 30 employees. And that's what I call the age of innocence. I actually make a comparison of a startup and a child. I do think that growing a startup is very similar to a child and that managing a startup is the same as uh, growing or educating a child. And you're not going to have the same challenges with a child who's uh, one year old than with a child who's 10 or 18. And you're not going to be parenting the same way. So that's exactly the way that I describe those stages. So the first stage is really the baby, <laughs> the baby side of things. So it's all tiny, it's all beautiful, we're super excited. And so because it's so small, you know, everybody knows each other, everybody knows uh, what's going on, everyone is involved in every decision. Uh, if uh, anyone has a questions, they just go to the founders and they get an answer. There's a general feeling of excitement, high level of commitment in the team. So everything is very positive. Of course, it's challenging, but it will always be remembered as the good old days, right? It's like, it's like your baby. When you look back at your baby, it's like, oh, that was, uh, that, that was nice. So that's really the age of innocence. The challenge that I see at this point is that the mistakes that sometimes I see at this stage are two. First, some founders are trying to build too fast here. So usually it's founders that are coming from corporates and they're used to very structured environment and they want to to be in advance and set up a lot of processes, but that's not necessary. And in a very early stage, you actually don't need all those processes because it's everything is very naturally happening, organically understood. And so you actually lose a lot of the flexibility, which is one of the main competitive ad advantage of a small organization like it starts up. So not building too fast is the, the first thing that at this point and the thing to do in which I don't see happening much is to make time to think about who we are as an organization. How do we do things? Where do we want to do? What exactly are we doing? Why are we doing this? And all these very fundamental questions, as I mentioned earlier, those questions are usually not really asked and definitely not answered because most of founders spend majority of their time on product revenues and fundraising. So that's the first stage, this, uh, the age of innocence. The second stage is uh, childhood. So basically when uh, your child starts to walk and uh, start to have uh, some 
level of autonomy. So that's between uh, 30 and 75 employees. So here, basically, that's usually around series, series A, series B, depending on the countries. And so you start to hire a lot more people. The focus is all of a sudden much more on serving more customers and faster. Previously, it was about surviving. And so the casual, informal, do-what-it-takes culture, which worked well before, becomes very chaotic and is much less effective. Also, a lot of new roles have been created and new layers have been added. And so there starts to be a distance between the team and the founders. And so there's some level of uh, confusion around where the priorities are. Some early joiners also are quite unhappy with the new layers being added between them. Some managers are not really meant to be managers, etc. So these are the type of problems that we start to see. And so what is needed is really to start building the foundations before we reach that phase and build some people management capabilities. And also the CEO and the leadership team needs to be able to delegate, which is often one of the uh, uh, bottleneck in the organization. So the, the founders struggle to let go of the control. They're still, you know, like um, they don't want to let their kid go with a nanny or to school. And therefore, every single decision has to be validated by them And that slows down a lot of things. Plus, they can't be good at everything. So that's usually quite an issue. And then, so from 75 employees to 150, that's the uh, pre-adolescence. So we can start to get some signs of people willing to, you know, to have more independence and autonomy. That's usually the time when we start to hire more and more experts, people that really know their stuff. And so if we do not delegate to them, if we do not make that space for them to actually make decisions, to be able to manage their team as they want, we're going to have a lot of issues and a lot of uh, turnover. So usually that's the moment where we try we start to see high level turnover for the the startups that have not anticipated for this so that was 75 to 200 and then 200 to 500 we get in teenagehood so teenagehood everything should be working fine it's complicated i mean having a teenager is never easy but there's nothing that you can do anymore i mean you can't control them anymore you can't tell them when to go to bed who to see who they can be friend with and all this so you just have to trust that somehow you have given the right uh, foundations from the beginning in order for this to rule and plus again as a ceo as a founder you can't be on the ground with the teams and handhold them. So that's why all this work of foundation is important before that. So the last stage I spoke about that 500 to 1000, but usually at this point, you already have quite a capable uh, HR team. You have an HR uh, or chief HR officer or HR VP that will be able to take on the strategy and start really planning for, for the next phases. I really like those stages and we can see that there's a need for building the foundations before reaching those stages. It's a, it's a little bit, a little bit too late if you don't do it. And we go back to what you said about Google at some point that due to the hyper growth, you are, you are in the need to hire people who did it before and they are copy pasting what they already know. So it doesn't really match 
necessarily what you wanted to build at the beginning. It's actually fine to hire somebody that's done it before. And even if they do not necessarily have a startup experience, what is needed is for them to have the time to digest, to understand, test the water and to understand, to really absorb what the DNA of that organization is to make sure that we design something that is fit for that specific culture and also make sure that these people are okay with navigating with complexity, with some level of mess, right? That it's, uh, we're speaking about startups. It, it, it's not all very well defined. And, and so that's usually a quite a high requirement for hiring People in startup organization, they, they need to be able to navigate with the ambiguity. You mentioned in the book three steps to building a positive and scalable organization. Could you elaborate on these steps and their significance for us? So the first, that's a little bit what I said earlier. It's like the first step is to define who you are, what you're doing and where you're going. Because if you don't do that, you can't build anything. So that first step is defining your company culture. The company culture will be defining your business strategy and also all your organization design. So let me explain. So there are actually four elements in the company culture. The first three elements are the purpose, the mission, the vision. The purpose defines what got you here. So that's the story your story, your personal story up to where you are now. What, so what led you to start and to be at this point? The mission is where you are. That's really your present and that's a moving present. So the mission should be defining your present at any point of the life of your company. When you start defining it, 10 years later, 50 years later and more, right? And the vision is the finishing line. That's a description of the future that you are building, that with your mission, you are contributing to build. And so those three elements actually define the GPS of your organization, the mission being the vehicle going from the purpose to the vision. And this GPS is the high-level business strategy. The business strategy is usually laid down for 10 years, five years, three years, uh, two years, one year, or something like that. And so these are baby steps getting you to your moonshot. And so this is extremely important. If you don't have that in place, you can't actually have a proper business strategy and have everybody aligned properly. And this, the fourth element is the values. And the values will define the color panel and the core material of your organization. The values define how do we work here. It's a definition of how people experience working with you. It's not a description of who you wished you were. It's really a description of who you are. And only if you are doing this exercise honestly and authentically, you will be able to attract people saying, this is the type of organization that you will join. And then the join. And yes, indeed, this is what uh, they, were, they were sold. If you have values that are selling untrue, that are really defining uh, an aspiration, then people will join and say, what the heck? Uh, that's not at all what I, I came to, to join. And that's not the type of environment in which I want to be. And so having this well-defined is important. And that's something that founders have doing 
honestly and the humility because 80% of the culture comes from the founders. If a founder is always late in meetings, it's not because they put punctuality in their values that all of a sudden people will be coming on time. No, everybody will be late. If the CEO is always late, everybody will be late and so on. If the CEO is not necessarily somebody extremely fun, people will not jump on the tables on Fridays uh, for TGIF. And that's okay. Not everybody wants to jump on tables and not everybody has an issue with a punctuality or not being late. So it's just about looking at ourselves in the mirror and being able to say, okay, this is who we are and we're going to make them the best out of it. And we are going to build an organization in a consistent way with this. So when we say that we are innovative or if we say that we empower people, this is not just a word. This is something that people need to live and breathe every day in your organization. Therefore, every single process that you design need to somehow be innovative or encourage innovation and empower people. So that's the first thing, the, the culture. And so that's the, the, the starting point. It's really that's defining the core elements. If you haven't done that step, it's extremely difficult I mean, to do all the rest because it means that all the rest will just be copy-pasting because you don't have the elements of necessary to customize and design the right organization for you. The two other elements are so the foundations. So the step two is to build your people function because most of the organization elements are developed in the HR team. And so that will be hiring the, you know, your HR team on time, starting building, a, you know, the must have to start with. So get your basics right before you start having nice to have things like TGIF or bean bags or free food. This doesn't, you know, it's, if you don't pay your, your, <laughs> your employees on time, I don't think uh, having uh, bean bags will all of a sudden make it okay. So yeah, so get your basics right. And then you can add the nice to have. And once you have your basics right, then you can start to build systems to drive performance in the teams. So your HR team will help equip managers. But at the end of the day, we also have the CEOs, you know, the leadership team that is, has a, a very important role in communication. So there are a few tools that are necessary. But most of the time, one of my big battle here is the leaner, the better when it comes to performance management. Because a lot can be done with just common sense and processes usually tend to discourage initiatives and high performance comes from, you know, taking initiatives and, uh, um, you know, being able to, to make decisions, having autonomy, being empowered and all that. That's really, the values are really the foundation for the next steps. And you will build something that is, that match the values. So that's really critical to work on that really first. Because for your values to be lived and breathed, people need to experience it on the ground. And having processes, policies that are in sync with your values, that will promote your values at the same time. So when you do this work well, you actually strengthen both your values and your system at the same time. They work in pair. They are not synced. They, you know, both are not working. It's like win-win or lose-lose. <laughs> That's very interesting to see that you need to build those foundations really early or you will pay it later in, a, in, a, in one form or another. You spoke about creating the people function. Can you explain 
how we create the people function, what are the different stages that are basically following the, the startup stages you defined before? How do you recommend people to create the people function? So usually I don't necessarily recommend to have an HR person very, very early on. I think it's necessary from the moment you start to reach, uh, you, you will reach 30 people, especially as definitely even if you're uh, an SME. So if you're not planning to, to have a you know, huge growth or at least uh, not as fast as a startup, but when you're a startup, you will have most probably hyper growth. And hypergrowth usually starts around 30 to 50 employees. So from 30 employees, you will double or triple within the next six months to 12 months. And that's usually how it happens. And then uh, all over again, when you reach 75, 100, you will double or triple in the next six to 12 months. So the pace at which all this is happening is so huge that you can't wait until you have hiring needs to hire your recruiters because recruiting takes time. So recruiting a recruiter takes time. And so you're already too late. If you haven't done that before, you're too late. So usually having your first HR around 30 employees is a good practice. One of the main challenges that uh, startups have is that what type of profile do we hire when we're only 30 employees? And that's a real you know, complex issue for, for startups because they don't have the budget to hire somebody senior. They do not have the scope of work either to make a senior person happy in the job. However, they do need the experience of a senior person to design because everything that we spoke about is requires some thinking around, okay, how do we adapt a, I don't know, a leave policy or performance management framework, framework to our culture? So, and, and that's the complexity. So usually what I've, been, I've seen work well is to hire somebody rather junior, but you know, quite smart, who can learn fast. With two, three years experience in HR, usually that's enough. I mean, HR is not rocket science. Uh, you, can, you, know, you can manage with uh, looking up on Google, which are the, um, uh, the, the label lows and all this. So having a junior HR and then couple that with an HR, more senior HR mentor that will help them design and really think about what is the most adapted for their organization. That's what I, I would say. And from the moment you, you have more than 20 hires per year, it's actually more cost effective to have an in-house recruiter. So to, to hire your first recruiter, because you know, using agencies is very costly. It's not effective. And that way you will actually build the knowledge within, you will build the database within, and you will start to be able to work on employer branding. And so this is quite critical. So from the moment, yeah, you have more than 20 hires in the year, it's a no-brainer. That's where you, you really continue to build, in a way, your employee experience from the moment you are contacting them uh, to hire them or for the moment they reach out to you? You know, employer brand is not about having a very sexy career page on your website uh, or having like nice pictures of your office. This will not work. You need to think about it the same way as when you go on vacation. When you go to choose a hotel, do you go on the hotel's website or you, do you go on TripAdvisor? You go on TripAdvisor. And what matters is what people think, how they experience. So people who 
are there, who went there, or just people who interviewed there. And that's important. So that whole experience is very important to define and to take care of. And having a good recruiting experience is rare. It's not that complicated. So making, being able to make a difference out there is already putting you on a list that is quite small. <laughs> and that's a good list. <laughs> I totally agree with that. That's very interesting to see when we start to care about that experience and uh, for who. And so, yeah, you're right. People we interviewed will speak about your company and they will say something that will define you. So that's a good one. And we're social media now. <laughs> I mean, just think about it. I mean, we much more often speak about the bad things that happen. How often have you heard somebody saying, oh my God, I went to interview with that company. That was amazing. I had the best time with, uh, with the interviewer. That hardly ever happened. So, and for this to happen, again, it's not that complicated. It's, it's creating what I call the cookie effect. So I wrote an article that you can find on LinkedIn, which is called the cookie effect. And it's just about creating that wow experience. So same as uh, in sales. So that's what they learn in sales as well. But it's creating that wow experience that people will speak about, they'll remember. Even if you don't hire them now, if they just speak about you in good terms to others and perhaps keep you, you know, perhaps you will hire them later on on the road. So... Yeah, you want everybody to be happy, even those that you let go. That's a very good one. So I will link the article in the companion blog post. That's very interesting. You mentioned building your, your performance management system. And uh, you also mentioned OKRs. Are they connected with the two? Are connected or not? Could you tell us more about, uh, about that? Management? So I, I'm not going to get into technicalities here because we might uh, bore our audience and also it might take another hour <laughs> or two but yeah OKRs are connected to performance management but at the end of the day everything is connected to performance management what is performance performance is means you know getting things done and so performance management is a, you know creating a system that will get people to do their job basically okay so Everything that we've done before is already helping with that, defining the culture, making sure that people know about why they're here, what we're doing, where we're going, is already helping people perform in their job. Ensuring that they don't have to worry about getting paid, about taking their leaves, about uh, you know all these technicalities and logistics is already also helping them to perform. There's a lot of things that are within performance management and a lot of things are also external to even the company or the team or the individual. Whether you perform in your job is not all under your control. Whether you sign that client and there's an element of, of luck, there's an element of uh, context, of uh, a lot of things happen uh, that are not necessarily just due to you. And so somebody that signed a client could have just been lucky and somebody that did not sign a client may have been doing an amazing job, but the result is not just here. So just to go back to the OKRs, OKRs are actually an objective setting tool. So to perform, we need to set up objectives. However, the way OKRs were originally set up at Google has very little to do with what I see all the companies use OKRs. 
OKRs are actually setting objectives for new initiatives. And usually these are not the priorities of anybody. So OKRs are new initiatives that you will set yourself to do in order to advance the company's goal to move forward. For instance, if the company needs to has an annual objective to enter, I don't know, China by the end of the year and increase uh, customer satisfaction, every department will need to be working towards that, not just the sales team or the expansion team. And so, uh, for instance, as HR, you might want to, you, you will add in your objective, okay, I need to look into uh, the labor laws in China in in order to anticipate and prepare for us uh, entering that market, or I will start building customer satisfaction trainings in order to help our sales team or customer service teams do a better job, things like that. So these are additional initiatives. That's it's it's not it's not what the HR the core of the HR team. So you need to couple OKRs with KPIs. And the KPIs define the core elements that you need to be doing in your team. So we have on one side uh, the health metrics, how your business is running. That's uh, on one side. And you have new initiatives that will go across all departments that are measured or driven uh, with uh, OKRs. The KPIs are very much uh, like your, your car dashboard. It's a summary of uh, uh, that you can easily look at and that will show you when uh, if there is a, a low level of oil or gas or also yeah, the speed limit you will be able to see that and to know whether and sometimes those red lights start to go up and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's a big issue sometimes we can explain uh, why uh, there there again as i said earlier there are some external factors it could be very well be that there was covid so we can explain that you know of course the indicators get down and we, there's not much that we can do about this or it can be explained because somebody went on vacation or whatever so it's more indicators that it's not something that we will neither the kpis or the okrs are things that we should look at to make a decision on salary or development or these are again indicators data points that informs us and, and are more here to help us make decision and manage people Okay. As you said, we could spend a lot of time on the topic, but we are reaching the end of our discussion uh, there. And uh, for our listeners who are embarking on their startup journey or are in the midst of scaling their ventures, what's one piece of advice you'd like to leave them with? So the main piece of, of advice I would like to give them is take the time to think. A lot of people-related issues are often easy to resolve from the moment we take a moment to think about it and use common sense to solve it. Setting up processes for every problem, you know, so either because something bad happened, we're going to set up a new process or by fear of something bad happening, we're going to set up a process. That's uh, usually a big issue first because it's never resolved the process, the issue. Otherwise, uh, you know, it's not because we set a rule that all of a sudden people are going to follow the rule. Otherwise, we wouldn't need jails in any of our countries. So it's, it's, it has the, the process will not prevent bad people from doing bad things. And, and, and most of the time when something bad happens, or, or you know, 
like poor, poor performance, it can be resolved otherwise. It might be that the person didn't get the information, wasn't trained, didn't, wasn't equipped properly and all this. So it's something that you can resolve by being human as opposed to seeking for processes. And where can our listeners connect with you and learn more about your work and insights? I'm mostly present on LinkedIn. I regularly post there, whether there's articles or, or just uh, post uh, uh, reflections of the day. Otherwise, they can, yeah, they can reach me there. They can reach me from my website as well. And they can learn more also from my book. But um, I'm also happy for people to reach out to me and have a quick chat. Thank you, Han, for sharing your invaluable insights and experience with us today. Your journey and the methodology you've developed are truly inspiring for founders and leaders aiming to build positive and high-performing organizations. To our listeners, if you wish to dive deeper into Han's approach and learn more about her work, I highly recommend her book, From Zero to One Thousand. It's a treasure trove of wisdom for anyone in the startup ecosystem. Thank you for joining us on the podcast on emerging leadership. Until next time, keep leading and keep inspiring. Thank you very much for having me. It was good fun. Mm-hmm.